Welcome to Clef Talk, bringing you discussions on the topics that adults affected by cleft lip and or cleft palate have told us matter to them. Brought to you by the Cleft Lip and Palate Association as part of Clapper's Adult Services Programme. Cleft Talk is presented by Kate Flanagan and Nikki Davis and produced by Kenny Ardwin and proudly funded by the VTCT Foundation. Hello everyone. <laughs> Hello, thank you so much for tuning in on this very warm evening for our live Q&A on cleft and physical wellbeing. Um, so for about an hour, we'll be talking about some new research on physical wellbeing in adults who are born with a cleft, going through what this means for the clapper community and how services can be improved in the future. Um, so there'll be time towards the end of the session for us to take some questions from you. Um, so if you've got a question, please feel free to drop it in the live comments just below where we're showing, and we'll try to answer as many as we can later. Um, so before we get started, we'd better introduce ourselves and I'll start. Um, so my name's Kate, I'm the Communications and Regional Support Officer at Clapper um, and I work on the charity's social media, websites, graphics, videos and things like this. Um, so Kenny, would you like to introduce yourself as well? Sure, thank you Kate. So I'm Kenny, I'm Clapper's Adult Services Manager. Um, so I look after our Adult Services Programme. Um, which includes both research, uh, such as what we're about to describe this evening, as well as the service delivery, things you might have seen like the Cleft Talk podcast, the Leavers Pack, the Adults Conference, the Road Shows, those sorts of things. Great. Thank you, Kenny. Um, so thank you. We can already see that there's about 23 of you joined us. So thank you so, so much for coming along tonight. Um, so let's kick off with quite an important question. Um, so, Kenny, what was the motivation for researching physical health in adults who were born with a cleft? Sure. So, first of all, and before I forget, I should acknowledge the research team that's on this, because obviously Clapper um, have put together the Adult Services Programme, of, of which the research is part of that. Um, but we certainly don't work in isolation. And so on this particular paper, um, we've worked with the Centre for Appearance Research, in fact, on all of the papers, we've worked with the Centre for Appearance Research, um, and I especially should acknowledge Nicola Stock, um, who has been the research supervisor for this project um, and has done a, a stellar job with helping us get the research this far, um, but also to Sinead Davis, who is um, from the Welsh Cleft Service as well, who helped specifically with this paper, um, providing some of the extra clinical expertise um, that myself and Nicola didn't have regarding um, surgical and ENT sort of stuff, which we'll discuss. So um, I'd like to start by saying thank you to both of them for their input on this particular paper. Um, so let me also start by explaining what we mean when we talk about physical health. So we're talking about everything to do with your health that isn't your mental health. So we're talking about things that can go physically wrong with your health. So asthma is an example of something that impacts your physical health, a broken leg would impact your physical health, coronavirus affects your physical health, depression and anxiety on the other hand impact your psychological and mental health, which um, we covered off in our emotional wellbeing paper and the Q&A that we did back in May. Now, of course, we know that they're very intertwined with one another because a physical health condition can impact on your mental health. Um, cleft itself is an example of that. Cleft is a physical condition, 
Um, but we know it has repercussions for people's mental health and emotional well-being. And similarly, mental health can impact on your physical health. So if you're clinically depressed to the point where you can't get out of bed, then that lack of exercise will also impact on your, your physical health. So they're, they're very intimately intertwined. Now, we also know that having one health condition such as a cleft sadly doesn't make you immune from having any other health problems. In fact, sometimes it can be the opposite, where having one health condition actually makes you more likely to experience certain other conditions. And we, we call that comorbidity. Um, and we know from anecdotal data on our Facebook pages, as well as our support requests that come through to us by phone and email, that adults born with a cleft often wonder when they experience something else happen with their health, whether cleft was wholly or partly to blame. Now, previous research in this area has found that it's reasonably common to have a range of common health conditions co-occur alongside cleft. And so we wanted to study this in the UK um, with our group of adults to see what we found. And it's also worth bearing in mind that our research, uh, sorry, that that research in general will often exclude people who have a co-occurring or comorbid condition. So for example, often in cleft-related studies, people with a syndrome that is responsible for their cleft may actually be excluded from a study on cleft. And the reason that that is being done is to make it easier to then make comparisons about groups without complicating it by having somebody with another condition potentially skewing your results. However, given how common it is to have cleft be caused by a syndrome, we felt it was important to include people with other health conditions in our study and attempt to describe the various difficulties people face, which is what we've done here with this study. And um, finally, it was important to us that we research and better understand physical health concerns in adults born with a cleft so that people can access the care that they need when they need it. So we know how important it is that people have a good understanding of their health, and we call that health literacy, and um, when and where they can go to seek help for, uh, seek help for concerns about their health, um, whether that be seeing the cleft team, whether it be going to see your GP or your dentist. It's worth pointing out at this point, we have a separate paper coming out about people's experiences with their teeth and dentistry and their surgical experiences. So we've separated that out from this discussion and from this paper because they're actually quite big topics in their own right, which we couldn't do justice to everything in this one paper. So if it feels like I'm being a bit vague on issues of dentistry and surgical stuff, it's not deliberate. It's that we will actually cover that off separately in another Q&A. Mm -hmm. More live Q&As coming soon. Um, <laughs> Sign <laughs> up for the series. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, so thanks so much for that introduction, Kenny. And if you've just joined us, because there's a few more people that have just joined us. So we'll be sort of recording this Q&A and we will be uploading it on our website soon. So if you've missed the start, you can jog back onto there at another time. So, so the research paper is based on the results from Clapper's 2018 whole of life survey. Um, so Kenny, can you tell us a bit about the survey and the topics it included, as well as how the results were collected? Yeah, certainly. So the survey, which I'm sure some of you watching this will remember, came out in the summer of 2018 and was an extensive survey that covered many different areas of life and was interested in how people who were born with a cleft and had now reached adulthood had experienced life so far. And we asked people for their demographic information and we had an extensive section on physical well-being, which asked all about how often you were sick, 
how regularly you visited a GP and dentist, what illnesses you'd had, how easy or difficult it is to breathe, how good you perceive your speech and hearing to be, um, what surgeries you've had, if you've refused treatment, why you've refused treatment. Um, we also had a section on how you found eating and drinking as well. And so it's these two sections, physical health and eating and drinking, which form the basis of this paper and today's Q&A. We also have sections on emotional well-being, which we've already reported back on in a separate paper and Q&A. And we also ask people about their family experiences, their friendships, romantic relationships, and experiences within education, workplaces, the wider community, as well as attitudes and beliefs towards having children, which we've described in our upcoming social experiences and relationships paper as well, which is the fourth one in this series. So all in all, there are about 225 questions, which were a mixture of quantitative questions and standardized measures. And so they're questions where we give you a list of options to choose from, and you tell us which best applies to you. And these are useful because we can make easy comparisons then to what people in other groups and other surveys have said to see if there are any particular differences in the cleft community. Um, and we do that quite regularly with comparing against the general UK population. Um, we've also compared against international theft populations in the United States and in Norway and in Australia as well on some of the papers. So it's really helpful to have those quantitative questions. Um, but we also ask uh, qualitative questions, which are more open-ended questions, where we ask you simply to describe something that happened to you um, or your experience of something in life. And now these questions are are very valuable because while, while we can't compare them to other groups, um, we can actually learn a lot more about you and your life experience this way. And um, then we can for a multiple choice question. So over 250 people completed the survey, which is actually quite impressive for something that is so lengthy. So we're really pleased with that. And so anybody who is listening um, tonight who completed the survey, I'd like to extend a huge thank you because you um, have helped facilitate all, all of this. We couldn't do it without you. So, so thank you for that. Um, and most people chose to complete the survey online, um, while some others filled in a paper version of the survey um, and sent it back to us. And as I say, we're just incredibly grateful to everyone who took the time to complete the survey. And it's a real pleasure to actually be able to report back to you on what we found in this way. Mm -hmm. It really is. Um, and thank you to you all for joining us. And just a reminder that if you do have questions at any point um, or you'd like to share some of your experience, um, please feel free to write in the live comments and we will look at that at the end um, and have a bit more of a discussion. So you're very, very welcome to do that. Um, so um, Kenny, um, what are some ongoing health concerns that can be associated with cleft lip and or palate that came up in the survey results? Sure, so we looked at how common certain conditions were in the group of people that completed our study and then compared that to known figures from the Department of Health and other agencies about how common these conditions are generally within the UK. And so we found that many conditions appeared to be no more common in our population than they were in the general U UK population. So these inc included the major causes of death, which are heart disease, diabetes and cancer as well as other conditions such as dyspraxia, which is when you have difficulties with coordinating muscle movement, dyslexia, which is a difficulty with reading and writing, um, language impairment, and autism spectrum disorder. So that they were all, the fact that they were all within normal limits is good news. So what we're finding there is that 
in our study at least, in our population of people that we studied, we weren't finding those conditions were any more common than they were in the general UK population. What we did find though, was that asthma was about four times more common in our, in our sample than it is in the general UK population, which isn't entirely surprising since 48% of those who completed our survey reported that they were experiencing difficulties with breathing, which I'm sure you'll agree is actually quite high. Um, and 54% of people reported that they snore, and snoring is obviously a sign of a breathing difficulty, and that's also very high. Um, and to the point where quite a few of these people were actually sleeping in a different room to their partner because of their snoring, which obviously isn't ideal because it means that you know your, your snoring is quite quite severe. Um, but it also that's having an impact on people's relationships as, as well. Um, we also asked how many people breathe only through their mouth versus through both their nose and their mouth and found that 25% of people responding to our survey only breathe through their mouth, which again, one in four people, that's quite high. Um, for other people, even though they may have been able to breathe through their nose and their mouth, they may have only had one nostril available to them to do that. And so the airway may have been very narrow. So even if you are able to breathe through your, your mouth and nose, it's easy to see how breathing becomes difficult if you don't have a completely unobstructed airway. And the best way I can describe a blocked airway to people who don't have difficulties with breathing normally is to imagine what it's like when you have a bad cold and your nose is all, all blocked up and then just imagine breathing like that on a daily basis. So we found that 61% of people who completed our survey woke up with a dry mouth more than three days a week, uh, while 17% woke up regularly with headaches and 16% with lightheadedness. All of these happening at least three times in any given week. And they're all indicators of breathing that is suboptimal. 45% also reported feeling excessively tired on a regular basis. And that's really interesting because to me, that seems like a lot. Um, we don't have any data to compare that with because it's not a question that's generally asked of the population. Um, and bearing in mind, this was the summer of 2018. So a lot of the reasons that people have today to feel fatigued weren't, weren't around then. Um, so it, it does feel quite high. My hunch is that that's quite high. Um, and we know that breathing difficulties impact on somebody's ability to take in oxygen, which will make you tired, but also to sleep properly, which will also make you tired. Um, so I think we need to, to do a bit more research there to actually figure out what's going on there. Um, what is also a concern is that 70% of the people who completed our survey had actually never undergone a breathing assessment. So given how common breathing difficulties are, they've actually recommended that a breathing assessment forms part of routine cleft care in the paper. Um, we also asked about people's hearing and found that 45% of our sample reported difficulties with their hearing. That's compared to the UK average of about 17%. So that's about three times as high. Now, we know that hearing problems are more common in children who are born with a cleft. So again, it's not entirely surprising that we would see that translate through to adulthoods, uh, adulthood and them also have a, a higher rate of hearing difficulties. And it is worth also pointing out here that of those 45%, only 48% of those people, um, so about half of the 45%, felt that their hearing difficulties were cleft related while 46% said that they did not know 
whether it was or wasn't. And so we also know that as you get older, that hearing difficulties are more likely to occur as a result of age. And, and we all know that in the sense of, of how difficult it can be sometimes to communicate with parents and grandparents <laughs> um, who might insist on not wearing their hearing aids or whatever. So we know that hearing gets worse generally in the general population over time. Um, and our sample population actually averaged a slightly higher age than the general population. So that could explain some, but not all, of that variation too. 35% um, of our sample reported experiencing tinnitus, which is a ringing in the ears, um, which again is also quite a bit higher than that of the average population. Um, interestingly, we compared our findings with regard to hearing with a Norwegian cleft population, and we still found that our proportion of people reporting hearing difficulties was higher. So that's really interesting, given that that's another cleft population and we're still scoring a bit higher. Um, we also asked people about any concerns they had with their speech. So 35% of people reported no speech concerns, but 51% so more than half reported resonance disorders. And resonance disorders are where you have either too much or too little air coming through the nose when you're talking. 11% um, of people reported having a voice disorder and 71% reported that they had received speech therapy at some point in the past. Um, unfortunately, participants were not particularly satisfied with the outcomes of the speech language therapy that they had received growing up. Now, that may reflect the UK cleft service before the modern centralised cleft teams that we have today, which came in in the early 2000s. And it was at a time when speech outcome were shown to be particularly poor. So kind of prior to about 1998, um, when a, a study in the UK looked at cleft outcomes um, and it found that speech outcomes were particularly poor. So more positively though, on a scale of one to five, where five indicates people always or almost always understand what I'm saying, the average for that question was a score of 4.42. Um, similarly, on a five-point scale where five means my speech sounds fairly typical for someone who speaks my language and dialect, the weighted average was 3.86, so that's a, a bit lower. Um, the sound people reported to be most difficult is with 27% of participants finding that sound particularly difficult. Um, we asked people about their experiences with eating and drinking because we, we, know, to, we know that that's really important. Um, not only for nutritional reasons, but actually think how much socially in our lives revolves around, around food and drink. And we refer to this in the paper as feeding because that's the, the medical term used. But I'm going to use the term eating and drinking here because I think it does encompass more of that kind of social element towards eating and drinking as well. So 8% of people completing our survey could not eat food orally at all. Um, now, obviously, that's high compared to the general population. You know, that's, that's a lot of people who are struggling to eat food orally or who can't eat food orally. Um, then just over a quarter, so 27% reported avoiding certain foods because of their cleft. So these typically included hard foods like crusty bread, uh, spicy foods, and small foods, which may end up in a fistula. So rice, nuts, seeds, popcorn, etc. Um, almost half of people reported experiencing unpleasant symptoms when eating, and the most common of these symptoms were food coming down their nose, acid reflux, um, coughing and choking, and shortness of breath. And 
So obviously they're concerning. They're pretty major symptoms, all four of those. Um, less common, but still very concerning, were, were nausea and pain when eating, because obviously that shouldn't be happening. Um, but that being said, the vast majority of people reported enjoying eating and drinking, and they enjoyed eating out in restaurants and feel comfortable to eat in front of, of other people. So that's encouraging. And then with regards to engaging with GPs, general practitioners, in the last 12 months, 77% of people, so more than three quarters, had visited the GP, and 99% of people had visited the GP within the last five years. And that's actually quite high overall, which I think is good. So it means that people are going to the GP generally when they need to. What is more concerning is that almost a quarter, so 22%, reported that they had struggled to access cleft services via their general practitioner. Now, these difficulties included a lack of GP knowledge about cleft and its treatment, the patient themselves being unaware of what they're entitled to, the GP or the NHS trust being unwilling to put through a referral to the cleft team, or being referred to the wrong place or being referred to private practice. Three people had waited three years to get a referral, and one person had, inappropriate, had to have inappropriate treatment later corrected by the cleft team. And I'm sure you'll agree that both of those scenarios are utterly unacceptable. We also found that a significant number of people were unsure as to whether they had a syndrome or not. And so routine screening for syndromes is not currently carried out in all UK cleft teams, but it should be considered for children who might be at risk for developmental problems. Right. Um, so with all of these results, um, you've kind of already mentioned that um, breathing issues could mm. benefit from future research. Um, so would you mind going into a bit more detail about that? Yeah, so breathing problems in adulthood have not been well explored in the context of cleft. And the findings of our study certainly suggest that future research should target that area and do that quite specifically. Um, there's been little research done into the long-term impact of having restricted or blocked airflow, airflow through the nose. Um, and so we'd encourage any research that investigates that further as well. Um, as we mentioned before, people with additional health conditions are often excluded from research. And we were deliberate in our, our efforts not to do that. And so we strongly encourage and welcome more researchers to look at the experiences of those who have conditions in addition to cleft um, as it's a missing part of the picture at the moment, um, if we're not including them. And of course, as robust as our study is, um, it too has limitations which can be addressed by future research. So first of all, people with isolated cleft palate were underrepresented in our study, as is so often the case. And we know that generally within Clapper as well, um, that people with isolated cleft palate are underrepresented, despite the fact they actually make up more than half of all cleft cases. And sadly, we know that a sense of kind of what we describe as imposter syndrome um, can stop people with isolated cleft palate from engaging with us. And we did address that earlier in the year in an episode of, of Cleft Talk, um, which you can catch up with on demand. Um, we hope to see more research which sees more people with isolated cleft palate giving their opinion, because it, it is really valuable and important. Um, we also have to recognise, of course, that this was a long survey and therefore not all participants answered all of the questions. 
Um, we also had far fewer men than women complete our survey, which while that is quite typical of this type of research, it's obviously still disappointing to us. We would have liked to see a bit more balance there. Um, we also would be interested to learn more about the experiences of people who are currently living in the UK that have most of their treatment elsewhere. And similarly, um, similar studies undertaken in other countries would provide a useful comparison to measure the impact of cultural differences and any differences that may exist in the healthcare model, because we, we obviously know that um, state-funded care through, through the NHS is a wonderful thing. Um, but actually, a lot of countries don't adopt that as their healthcare model. So, for example, the United States has a very different healthcare model. Um, so it's also a little bit naive of us to think that what we're recommending in the UK um, necessarily applies in whole to other places like the United States. But that being said, there are definitely some learnings um, that seem to apply regardless of, of geographic location. Okay, thank you. Um, so circling back to this paper, this research has also shown that some adults were unaware that they were entitled to specialist treatment on the NHS. Um, so others who did try to access specialist services through their GP or dentist experienced difficulties. And as we've already said earlier, this was the case for around 22% of adults who took the survey. Um, so with this in mind, um, what advice could you give to adults to gain a referral and access the care they're entitled to? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And sadly, it is more common than we'd like for people to experience issues accessing the CLEF team, as you said, 22%, and that's just for the ones that we know about. Um, first of all, if you're in Scotland or Wales, you can self-refer to your CLEF team. So you can actually just cut out the middleman entirely and just call your CLEF team and ask to be seen. Um, you'll find those details on our website as well. Um, and you can actually find that if you just Google NHS CLEF teams, it will take you to our website, you'll find all the contact details. So if you live in Scotland or Wales, that's exactly what I'd be doing. It's your easiest option. Just phone the CLEF team or email the CLEF team, get a referral that way. If you live in England or Northern Ireland, um, it's not quite so straightforward. Um, and so we put together some really useful resources to help you access the CLEF team. So you may have heard or seen on our Facebook pages or website about our Leavers Pack, which is designed to give you all the information that you need relating to cleft in adulthood. And if you haven't already, I'm going to give a bit of a plug here to get your free trial copy by going to um, surveymonkey.co.uk forward slash r forward slash Leavers Pack request. And I think Kate's going to kindly put that in the, um, the Q&A yeah. <laughs> link so that you don't have to remember it remember a, a URL like that. Um, and in there, you'll find a couple of useful things. So first of all is our Frequently Asked Questions booklet, uh, which explains all the things that you should go back to the CLEF team for versus going to see your GP or regular dentist, because that's one of the things that people struggle with is what's a GP issue, what's a dentist issue, and what's a CLEF team issue. Um, spoiler alert, if in doubt, talk to your CLEF team and they will help you figure that one out. You'll also find a referral pathway flowchart in there, which shows you how to access the CLEF team and what to do if you get stuck along the way. Um, and finally, there's also a letter which you can take to your GP or dentist, which explains very simply exactly what they have to do to help you get a referral. And the feedback we've had from people who have given that to to use has been that that's actually been that the GP or the dentist has also found it very helpful. 
um, because it points them to exactly where in the, the NHS service specification they need to look to to know exactly what to do. And because obviously from a GP's perspective, they're seeing hundreds of different conditions. You may well be the only cleft patient that they see. Um, so if you can walk in there with that letter that says, um, hey, here's exactly what we need you to do. Um, here's where you need to go to do it. Um, they actually really welcome that. So, so don't be afraid to take that into the, the GP or, or to your dentist. Um, your cleft team will also help. So if you're having no luck with the GP, regardless of where you are in the UK, talk to your cleft team and they can help. And of course, if you have any problems, we're always here to help too. Um, and it is something I, I help with fairly regularly. Um, so please do get in touch and email us at adults at clapper.com. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and thank you to all of you who are sharing questions and comments um, on this live video. Um, we'll get to those very shortly. Um, but for now, another question from me. Um, so how can this paper be a useful tool for health practitioners to improve care for adults born with a cleft lip and or palate? Sure. So this paper provides a good overview for clinicians of some of the larger physical health issues faced by adults who are born with a cleft and provides that awareness. It also outlines some of the difficulties that people have with referrals in a bit more detail than I've been able to go into here, which is valuable for GPs to be aware of. One of our other papers will have much more in the way of specific recommendations and implications for general dentists. So we'll, we'll discuss that one in a separate Q&A. Um, but I think we've also made, as I was saying before, a really strong case for breathing assessments to be included in cleft care. And I, I do hope that that is heated and that we do more research into that to, to see whether that really would be warranted. Um, and of course, for greater recognition of the ongoing hearing speech and eating and, eating and drinking difficulties um, that clinicians should be attentive of um, and the need to provide support around those at any age. Right, thank you. Um, and you mentioned breathing difficulties earlier in this session. Um, so there's actually a really relevant question that we should probably touch on here. Um, so with COVID-19 government requirements stating to wear a mask or a face covering, are adults able to get an exception because they were born with a cleft? Mm, now that's a really, a really good question and a really topical one. So first of all, it's actually worth pointing out what masks do in the COVID-19 response. Um, so the World Health Organization has been quite clear in this um, and stated that masks help reduce the spread of community transmission of COVID-19. Now, currently in the UK, and especially so in England, community transmission of COVID-19 is very high. And so the masking protocol that the government has implemented lowers that risk. Now, a mask isn't designed to protect you, but you wearing your mask protects others from your germs. So it kind of needs everybody to do it or as many people to do it as possible so that everyone is protected. Now, it's worth pointing out, masks are uncomfortable for everybody. They're hot, they're itchy, they get damp, they make it harder to speak. Whether you have a cleft or not, they just make things a little bit more, more difficult. Um, so for everyone, it makes it feel as well like it's harder to breathe. And I think this has been quite a concern of our community is this perception that when they wear a mask that it feels like it's now harder to breathe. Um, this generally is more of a perception than it is a reality and it is kind of like anything that's different it takes a bit of time to get used to. So like 
when you first put your watch on in the morning, you feel that on your wrist, but, but by an hour later, you've completely forgotten it's there because your, your brain is, is ignoring that kind of sensory input. So a mask is a little bit similar. It's something you haven't done your whole life for most people, and now you're having to do it. And so it, it is uncomfortable, it feels different, and it, it feels strange. Um, so my advice here is you shouldn't be trying to seek an exception for the mask rule just because you find it uncomfortable. Um, if you genuinely are finding it very difficult to breathe with a mask, then you actually need to go and talk to your GP or cleft team about your breathing difficulties. And I, I say that because if it's so bad that you can't breathe with a mask on, um, that's not normal and that's something that needs medical attention. And so if you've not, you know, we were saying 70% of people haven't had a breathing assessment. So if you're finding it's actually genuinely hard to breathe with a mask, please, please go and see someone about that. Um, also, take the time to find a mask that's comfortable for you as well. Ones that are slightly looser fitting are generally a bit more comfortable. Um, whereas the one that you've made from an old T-shirt actually probably isn't, isn't the best. But buying one maybe that's designed for aerobic exercise um, and allows more air through could work quite well for you. Um, remember as well, if you're struggling to breathe with a mask on, you are likely to be in the group that is more vulnerable to becoming seriously unwell with COVID-19. So it's important not to be flippant about mask use. And I, I know for me personally, I'd rather wear a mask and be a bit uncomfortable, hot and itchy, than to get COVID-19 and be finding it, it very difficult to breathe. But as I say, um, do go and talk to your cleft team or your GP if you have particular concerns about this and are wanting to do something um, that isn't in line with the government advice, which is very clear, which is to wear a mask. Okay, definitely. Um, thank you for explaining that. Um, so now we'll look at some questions sent in by members of the Clapper community. Um, so last week, um, if you're watching this now, you may have seen we shared a graphic um, with sort of a roundup of some of the results um, that we've discussed here tonight. And we received the following question on Instagram. So someone asked, have the results of this survey been shared and highlighted with Healthwatch England? As the national independent watchdog for all NHS services in England, they would be ideal to work alongside Clapper in order to make sure that heads of services mentioned in the report read the results and they can then work with those delivering our services to make changes where they are recommended by service users. So might you be able to shed some light on that, Kenny? Yeah, and that, that's a really good observation and a really good question um, from, from one of the community there. So, so let me kind of start by explaining what, what happens next from here. So the paper um, only hit the journal on the 31st of July. So you're getting this pretty hot off the press at the moment, which, which is great and was important to us. So we share it back with the community first. Um, cleft teams will also be able to access this information through, through the journal. And we're very fortunate in the UK that we have really good relationships with cleft teams and they will help us to take this forward as well, particularly with some concerns um, that may be around things such as uh, the breathing or whatever. The specific concerns about GPs are obviously a major one um, and does form part of our kind of whole of UK response that we need to, to do going forward. And Health Watch England is certainly a part of that, um, but it's not the only part of that because we recognise they, they're only dealing with, with England and we've got four countries and four slightly different healthcare systems to, to work with. 
Um, we'll be using our adult representation committee, um, which is our group of adults who have all with a cleft, which um, advises PAPA on our response to things as to exactly how we can help move this forward at a national level, but certainly, um, you know, Health, health um, Watch England would be part of that response to get this information out, out to GPs and making sure that GPs are really clear that if they put cleft into their computer, that they know exactly how to refer, when to refer and who to refer to. Thank you. Um, so to the person who asked that, um, we hope that answers your question. Um, obviously, if it doesn't, then feel free to get in touch with us. Um, and we also had a question posted on our Facebook earlier today. Um, someone asked, does anyone else get really bad congestion in the gap at their palate? Um, so where does this kind of sit in relation to this new physical health research? And are there any pointers you can give? Sure. Okay. So, so that's a, a good, good question. Um, there are potentially two areas I could be referring to here. And, and from the question that you've just given me, Kate, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. So I'll kind of cover them both off and hope that that answers our, um, our viewers' question. Um, so the first one is a fistula, which is a, a hole, kind of a residual hole in the palate, which goes between um, kind of the the floor of the nasal cavity um, and the mouth. So basically that there's a connection there between mouth and nose where there shouldn't be. Um, and it, if that hole is large enough, it is possible um, not only for food to go up through the hole um, and things get stuck there, but also for things from, from up above, um, you know, such as um, mucus and things to work their way through. And that could give a, a sort of congestion feeling. Um, that's not uncommon with a fistula, but if it is bothering you, um, and if you're noticing it all the time, definitely it would be worth seeing the CLEC team about and looking at potential options to um, repair that fistula for you, whether that be surgical or whether there be other options that they look at to help manage that for you. Um, the other area you could be referring to is um, the space that everybody has, um, which is at the back of the soft palate, between the soft palate and what we call the, the pharyngeal wall at the back, um, which there's a, a gap there which um, goes up into the, the nasal cavity um, and that obviously allows air to go, go up and down um, to your nose and um, then your soft palate kind of closes off when you, you eat or it should do. That's obviously a, a problem for some people with cleft is when that doesn't happen and that's how we can get food coming out the nose. Um, so it's not uncommon to get congestion there for, for anybody. And people notice this when, when you're sick. You might have heard of the term post-nasal drip. Um, that's what's happening there, is that basically mucus from, from the, the nasal cavity, the nose area, um, is finding the, the nearest outlet to it. And so obviously that happens in two ways. It's how you get snot coming down your, you know, out of your nostrils and out of your nose when you're sick. But you'll also notice quite often, particularly at night when you're lying down, that runs down the back of your, th your throat as well. Um, that's quite normal in a cold. Um, if you've got a blocked airway generally, as we know that some people with cleft do, um, then you may be finding a lot of nasal congestion is working its way down the back of the throat all of the time. Um, it's not so much a 
a problem in terms of, you know, medically, it, it it's, doesn't generally pose an issue for people, but it is a nuisance um, and it is, can be annoying. And there are things that you can, can do around that. So again, like anything, I can't give you specific medical advice. Um, you need to go and see your cleft team. Um, but there are options like things like Flixanase, which is a nasal decongestant, decongestant that they may be able to recommend for you um, that may help alleviate that symptom. Um, and there are other things like that that can be done to alleviate the symptoms, but it's also worth them looking at if there's anything they can do to actually resolve the problem that's causing it in the first place. And that may be looking at surgery or, or other options. Um, so yeah, go and talk to the cleft team would be my advice, um, but also probably not something to get immediately worried about either. Okay, brilliant. Um, so again, we hope that answers your question. Um, and if you are watching this and you've got a question about anything we've already talked about, then please feel free to ask. Um, so I'm going to try and have a look at some of the comments from the live Facebook feed now. Um, so we've got a question from Rita. She wants to know how to get referred to the cleft team. So I guess we've kind of already covered that, but maybe could you just sort of reiterate? The yeah, I, I can, can re recap that. So um, to get referred to the cleft team, so as I'm saying before, Scotland or Wales, um, you can refer yourself to the cleft team. So um, you can do this by going onto our website and looking up NHS cleft teams. You'll find all the contact details there. Um, as I was saying before, um, you can also Google NHS cleft teams. You'll find all the information. Um, on our website through there um, for all cleft teams across the UK. Um, if you are in England or Northern Ireland, generally the process is you need to go and see your GP or your dentist and ask them to make a referral to the cleft team. It helps, as I was saying, to go armed with the letter that we're recommending from the, the Leavers Pack. And as I say, just email us, adults at clapper.com. I can provide you with an electronic copy of that that you can print out and take with you. Um, or you can show it to them on your phone, whatever. Um, but also go knowing the cleft team that you should be being referred to from the cleft team and it's uh, from, from our website. And it's um, generally going to be whichever one's closest to you. So make sure that they're not referring you to a, a different hospital. If it's not one of the cleft teams listed on our website, and I, I can't be clear about this, they're referring you to the wrong place. And that happens a lot. And it generally will happen in NHS trusts where they don't have a cleft team. So they will send you to the nearest hospital that has um, an ENT surgeon, plastic surgeon or, or maxillofacial department. Um, while that's appropriate for some things, that's not appropriate for cleft. So you need to make sure um, and just feel free to double check with the GP exactly where they're sending to you to go and make sure it matches the information on our website as to NHS cleft teams. And if they're not sending you there, just, just show them the website and explain to them. Um, and, you know, the vast, vast majority of the time, GPs are enlightened by that. And it's simply that they just didn't know and they want to get you to the right place first time. Okay, so hopefully that um, answers the question. Um, so, We've got um, some questions from Gemma, let me just see, um, about her son's surgery. Um, let me read this out for you. So um, Gemma's son was diagnosed as soon as he was born with a soft cleft palate. 
Um, and from the day he was born, we were advised his operation would be around eight months, um, but definitely before 12 months. This was cancelled in May, and we are now being told his operation will be near his second birthday. Any advice how we can get this done sooner? Um, so she says on the Clapper website, it mentions operations following Corona should be done before 13 months. Would you recommend going private? Um, if so, do you have an idea of how much this would cost? There's a few different questions within that one. Sure, I, I'll do my best to, to address that. Obviously, coronavirus is a very new issue that the world is struggling to, to grapple with. Um, obviously, as an inevitable result of that, um, treatments for other conditions, as we're seeing here, have been postponed and delayed. Um, and that, that is unfortunate. Um, but in many ways unavoidable um so to, to try and address a specific concern um so the general treatment pathway for palate repair is for that to happen somewhere around kind of the 8 to 13 15 month mark um and th there are some reasons for that um in terms of things like you know doing it ahead of speech development and, and things like that, that that make it a benefit to do it around that sort of time that being said, um, international research, because we know there are some other countries um, such as Sri Lanka and, and places like that where um, if they don't receive the level of, of cleft treatment that, that we do at, at, the, at an early age. And therefore, it's often palate repairs are happening at kind of age 14 years old and, and that sort of thing. And what we find that in terms of the success of the, the palate repair, um, the evidence would suggest there's no disadvantage from leaving it that long. Um, obviously, in Western society, the idea that we would leave something untreated for that length of time is unacceptable to us, and, and nobody's suggesting for a minute it'll be anything like that length of time. You know, I, I think around about the second birthday would probably be the absolute upper limit. Um, and the reason for that will be they will be thinking that at two years old, um, there's still time to, to do, do the repair before the bulk of speech development has started. So um, I would personally not recommend going private for a couple of reasons. One, I don't think you're going to find the expertise in private practice. In the UK, um, the expertise in, in dealing with cleft is within the NHS cleft teams. And particularly for, pri for primary repairs, such as lip repair and palate repair, um, I think it would be ill-advised to go private on that because you, you just are unlikely to get the level of expertise and follow-up care that, um, that you need. And the, the cleft team would tell you the same thing on that. They would be, be recommending you stick with the cleft team. Um, obviously, I can totally understand your concern about the, the delay and the length of time, particularly when you've been told one thing and kind of psyching yourself up around that time frame. Um, and there is a lot of um, auditing happening to make sure that, that things don't fall entirely off the radar. And there is a, a lot of um, pushing to try and make sure that the cleft repairs happen as early as, as they can um, in this current situation. Um, but I would, would suggest that um, as long as they are doing things before about the age of, of two years old, the long-term impact of that should be minimal. Um, of course, that does very little to alleviate your stress at, at the moment, and I want to acknowledge that. Um, but in terms of long-term outcome, 
um, and you know your, your child reaching their full potential and you know speech development and all of that, um, there shouldn't be too much long-term impact. These revised timeframes have very much been created with all of that in mind. That's like kind of what's the maximum length of time uh, that things can be delayed while still having an optimal outcome. So I, I hope that that answers your question and kind of um, alleviates some of the, the concern there. Yeah, and thank you very much for asking it, Gemma, and for bringing that up. Um, so I'll find another one now. Um, we've got a question from Tanya. She says, when it's windy, it takes my son's breath away and he goes stiff and then screams. Any advice? Well, um, that's, that's quite interesting. I mean, my, my main advice there would be to, to go and talk to the CLEF team because there's a, a number of things that, that could be happening there. Um, I mean, it could be something as simple as the sensation of the wind. He finds quite uncomfortable, perhaps, on, on his face. Um, obviously, when it, it's windy, generally, you'll be having more air intake. Um, if he's screaming, um, that's, I mean, to, to scream, you've got to be having good, um, good breathing. So, I mean, that's probably a, a positive to take out of that. Um, but if it's quite specific to that scenario and, and the going stiff, um, I, I would talk to either the GP or the CLEF team about that because I, I'm, I'm sorry that there's no specific advice I, I could give on this forum um, to alleviate those specific concerns. Sorry. Um, thanks, Kenny. Um, sorry, we couldn't be of more help, Tanya. Um, and yeah, Gemma's just said, thank you so much. Sorry for all the questions. Gemma, don't worry at all. Thank you so much. No, not, not at all. This is what, what we're here for. Here for. <laughs> um, so let's have another one. Um, so a question about levers packs for you, Kenny. Yeah. Um, so we've got Rita says that she went to her GP and the GP didn't know what she was talking about and told her to go to the dentist. Um, and Rita's also said that she's 36. Can she get a levers pack? Okay, so I'll answer the second point first. Yes, um, at any age you can, you can get a leavers pack. Um, well, assuming that you're of leaving age. Um, so anyone kind of 16 and over, go to link on our website, you can have a, have a leavers pack. Um, I'll just ask you for your, your address. And um, they are limited for, for anyone who might be watching this from overseas. They are limited to the UK only. Um, and they are at the moment a physical pack, but we will eventually have an electronic version um, of the pack available. Um, but they are very much designed with the UK um, CLEF service in mind, so they really do only apply there. Um, so while a future electronic version may offer some help to an international audience, just bear in mind there are some caveats to put around that, that you may not be entitled to everything that we're saying you're entitled to. Um, so the first point you made, Rita, about um, the GP sending you to the dentist is certainly one I've heard before. And unfortunately, it can often ping pong between them. So the GP will send you to the dentist, the dentist will send you to the GP, and, and you're just like, oh, for the love of God, will someone just send me somewhere? Um, so they are very much within their, they're both within their capability to send you to the CLEF team. So you can use either the dentist or the GP, and that is your, your choice. Um, sometimes the GP may want you to go to the dentist if it's specific to dentistry that you're, you're asking, but even so, you can still ask the GP, look, just make me a referral to the CLEF team dentist and they can do that. Um, that's where 
the the letter may be helpful to take along um, and it's certainly something that if they're still not sure how to do that um, I don't mind having a chat with them I've spoken to a few G GPs over the years um, and just politely kind of pointed out um, their obligations to send you to the CLEF team and exactly how they they do that and again it generally comes from a place of not being sure how to process that um, or how to get it through their own NHS referrals panel um, and so it's certainly something both we and the CLEF team can help with but my, my real advice is, is if you get stuck anywhere along the way phone the CLEF team and they will help you with the GP just don't please don't get stuck in this loop of having to wait three years and getting you know shoved from pillar to post um, going to different departments and different appointments only to be told um, you're in the, the wrong place. Yeah, so hopefully that answers your questions, Rita. Um, so we've got another one for you, Kenny. Um, Jenny says um, that she suffers from sinus headaches before and or after a cold. Um, she also says that in recent years, and she's 32, um, she finds that her hearing is impaired for up to three weeks after. Um, this makes her job as a teacher very difficult and like most people with a cleft, she has to defend taking longer to recover from an ordinary cold. Is there documentation anywhere which explains this to employers and also GPs who can often seem baffled? That's a really interesting question. That, that is, and I think um, it's a really good question, Jenny, and it's, it's getting into kind of the, you know, what we were saying right at the start of how physical health impacts on other areas of life as well. Um, and that, that general lack of understanding perhaps from um, employers and, and uh, you know, your, your GP by the sounds of things who doesn't fully understand. Um, I mean, the, the impacts on, on sinuses um, with cleft are, are well understood by the cleft team. Um, we know that certain elements of, of cleft can impact on sinuses, certain cleft treatment um, can impact on, on sinuses and, and that sort of thing. Um, I would recommend getting some support from the cleft team on this, kind of two reasons really. One, to look at if there's anything that can be done about the fact that you are having kind of these prolonged um, sinus infections for, for weeks after a cold, particularly when it's impacting on your, your hearing as well, um, because it, there may potentially be something that can be, be done there, whether that be some sort of surgical treatment um, to address the sinuses, or again, things like a decongestant, I struggle with that word, decongestant, um, that we were mentioning earlier, maybe another option just to, I mean, it's not going to solve the problem but it may speed up the recovery time and help you manage those symptoms um i would also ask also ask them to give you some documentation that you can use um with your employer as well that it explains why this is a bit different for you um because yeah that would be frustrating to not only be having to manage the your symptoms but also an employer who's not quite understanding why you're needing the time off mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you, Kenny. So hopefully that helps. Um, and Tanya, who you answered a question from shortly before this, um, her son was the one, um, let me just get this right, um, when it's windy, his breath gets taken away. Um, she's just said um, he's currently four months old. Um, what's the time limit on him having his first operation with his cleft lip part first? 
Okay. Um, so generally, before COVID, that was done somewhere around kind of the three to six-ish month mark, Some, sometimes a bit, bit later for other reasons. Um, if people had particular um, you know, health concerns, they may, may delay that by a bit. And it's quite, you know, quite safe to delay that, um, the cleft lip repair by, by a period of time. Um, again, it's something that obviously a cleft lip impacts on, on feeding. Um, it doesn't impact so much on, on speech development. Um, but obviously for, you know, aesthetic reasons, it's something that, that gets repaired um, quite early on in life. I don't know what the new kind of time frame being suggested for cleft lip repair is at this stage. Um, but I think it's probably fair to assume it will be somewhat delayed again because of, of coronavirus um, but it would still be earlier than, than that of a palate repair so if we were talking two years for palate repair it'll be, be sooner than that it's probably a, a question worth asking your cleft team because the other thing worth pointing out is at the moment um, cleft teams around the UK are doing things differently because they have to um, to respond to coronavirus so you've got some areas of the UK with very low numbers of coronavirus <clears throat> and are able to kind of be somewhat back to normal in terms of, of dealing with, with cleft care, whereas others are very much still in the thick of dealing with COVID-19. And so they'll be delayed for a bit longer. So um, sorry, it probably feels like a, a bit of a cop-out answer, but Tanya, if you can have that conversation with your, your cleft team and just ask them kind of to give you a bit of a time frame around that and hopefully some reassurance as well that, um, you know, long-term, um, the, these slight delays now I'm, I'm not going to impact on your, your son's overall or health. Yeah, so hopefully that helps. Um, and I also just want to bring up another point. Um, so we had another comment on our Facebook post earlier. Um, so someone said adults and teenagers definitely need more support with the self-image and self-esteem. Um, so I guess that just sort of links back to how Emotional well-being really intersects with physical well-being, and I don't know if there's anything you'd want to add on that, Kenny. Yeah, I mean, just to absolutely validate what you're saying, I completely agree. Um, I think we saw that in a big way in this survey. Um, that self-esteem um, underpinned a lot of difficulties people were having later in life, and, and what we did see as well is that um, for people who had undergone, you know, had been part of the modern cleft team, which encompasses psychological care, generally they would report a better outcome because of that. Um, whereas for people who are a bit older, um, they may not have ever had any input from a psychologist and so have had to deal with a lot of this stuff on their own, which is not, not what we want from anybody. Um, that being said, we acknowledge there's still a lot of work to do and the adolescent years in particular are a difficult time for people as it is without kind of the added complication of perceiving that you're different in some way. Um, and so we will cover this, I imagine, a lot actually in our interpersonal relationships and social experiences paper, because we, we know that there's, um, you know, just to give you a, a brief summary of kind of what to expect, is that um, 
you know, people report generally family relationships are good. Um, friend relationships are generally good. However, they take longer to establish and people generally reported having a fewer number of close friends um, than perhaps some other people in, in their peer group. Um, and then we know that things like romantic relationships, particularly in those teenage years, can be quite um, quite overwhelming or just people lack the confidence in them. Um, and so that's obviously something we, we want to, to address as, as well. Um, the good news is, which I'll go into more in the kind of, when we, we get to that paper, is that once they're, they're in, in a relationship or in a friendship, um, they generally report a high level of satisfaction with those, with some, some exceptions, which I, I just don't have time to get into now, but we will cover it quite extensively in the interpersonal relationships paper. But I think that has identified a need to do some work in those kind of adolescent years and, and things like you know our residential weekends that that we we've run in the past and what we'll run in the future once um COVID-19 is is less of a, a thing um they are a really positive way of kind of um getting that peer support and that that lived experience from from others um we've also got a self-esteem podcast that we did on cleft talk um, way back in, I think, about June last year, which offers some really practical advice, as well as ones about managing friendships and romantic relationships, um, kissing, sex and intimacy, all those sorts of things that um, people have told us are, are real concerns in those kind of um, adolescent and young adulthood years. So we are doing our best to, to address that um, in whatever ways we can. Um, so a really good, good question and something we're are certainly keen to keep following up on and if you've got any suggestions of things you feel that we're missing please please do get in touch with us mm -hmm. definitely um so i think we've got time for about another question or so um so we've got some comments from joanne um so there's two so i'll read you out for context um so she says um my son was born with a tessier 13 bilateral cleft lip and palate he only had one side of his nose and only one eye. He is nearly 17 now, had lots of surgery and is preparing for more. Fingers crossed he was fi he'll finally get his teeth and gums sorted. Um, then she's just asked this question. Um, During one of my son's earlier operations, fixing his nose, his airways narrowed and he has very little to non-air through his nostrils. Do you think it's possible to reopen them as it does affect his everyday living with eating and speaking? Sure. Um, that's definitely a cleft team question, I'm afraid. Um, so I'm not a um, respiratory physician or, or an ENT, so I, I really can't comment on that, I'm afraid. But it, it's certainly a question that is worth asking the cleft team. And one of the things, actually, which we'll point out more in our kind of treatment decision making um, Q&A, is that even if you've been told something in the past can't be done, it is worth now re-asking the question because what we do see over time, particularly in cleft care, is some quite significant improvements in treatment that is available. And um, so even if you've been told in the past something can't be done, there's no harm in asking that question of the cleft team again and investigating with the knowledge that we, we have now. Um, it sounds like a, a pretty difficult situation um, for your son. Um, so. I, I would definitely just go and ask, ask the cleft team. Um, 
for what advice, even if they can't do something surgically, they may have some other options up their sleeve just to help um, with some of those symptoms. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, and we've seen, I guess, from this talk that there's been a few questions um, from people about sort of early years repair surgery. So I just want to flag as well that um, next week um, we'll be sort of announcing more about this over the coming few days. But next week on Monday evening, um, we've got another one of our Clapper monthly coffee clubs. Um, and this month's topic is on early years repair surgery. So there'll be parents that have already been through it. There'll be parents and carers that haven't been through it yet. Um, and it's just a great way to have an informal chat and share experiences and concerns and questions in a really sort of friendly and welcoming space. Um, so I'll pop a link in the comments below as well um, to our Eventbrite page, but it's completely free to register. So if you'd like to find out more about that, feel free to click on the link and explore or book your free place. Um, we're also hoping to do a Q&A in September um, about cleft surgery in the time of coronavirus, um, basically. So we'll be announcing more details about that soon, but definitely keep an eye out. Um, so I think that's probably all the time we have for questions, but is there anything you want to sort of wrap up or add for a big message yeah. to take away? Yeah, I, I mean, just to reiterate what we said at the start, you know, physical health is so intimately intertwined with emotional well-being, And for that reason, um, it's really important that you don't sit on physical health concerns. And um, I know how tempting that can be because I, I'm, I'm guilty of it myself sometimes. You, know, you, you don't always go to the doctor when you should or whatever, but know that there is really good support out there through the CLEF team. It's just a case of, of reaching out and taking it. Um, at any age you are entitled to it. We are here to help navigate through any difficulties you might have with accessing a referral. Um, and you won't regret reaching out. You can always go back for an assessment. You can always turn around and say no to any treatment that's being proposed. But I think it, it's nice to have the information available to you if you have a specific concern about what options may be available. Um, finally, I'd just like to wrap up by, by saying thank you for, for joining us. Thank you for all the, the brilliant questions as well that you guys have sent in. Um, and I hope I've, I've done my best to answer those. But if you've got any specific um, questions you'd like following up on, please feel free to, to email me, adults at clapper.com. I'll do my best to help. And if I can't answer it, I'll forward it on. And just, again, to acknowledge the research team um, that have supported myself with this. So that's um, Nicholas Nock at the Centre for Appearance Research and Sinead Davis at the Welsh um, Cleft Service in Swansea as well. Great, thank you, Kenny. Um, and we'll be this, you'll be able to access this Q&A on our Facebook page um, for quite a lot longer if you want to catch up or re-listen to parts. Um, we'll also be getting it on our website soon, the recording, so you can watch it back there. Um, and probably like a transcription as well. Um, so if you know anyone that isn't on Facebook and would like to watch it as well, you'll be able to access it there. Um, so again, I just want to repeat what Kenny said and just say thank you so much for joining us. Um, things like this are only possible because you join us and come along and tune in um, and we really like doing it. So thank you very much. And we'll see you, as Kenny said, for another, 
another part of the live Q&A series very soon, hopefully. So yeah. Thanks. Bye for now. Thank you very much. Bye everyone. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Clef Talk, brought to you by Kappa and proudly supported by the VTCT Foundation. We want to know what you thought of the programme so that we can make the next one even better. If you found this interesting, please make sure you subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud or your favourite podcast player. Our next podcast is coming at the beginning of next month. Check out www.kappa.com forward slash Talk to find out what we'll be talking about next. We want your questions to take to the panel. Visit our panel discussion page on our website to submit your questions. You can also check out everything we're up to with the Adult Services Project, including a list of our upcoming programmes and events at www.clapper.com forward slash Adult Services Project. You also can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We look forward to talking to you again soon.